So the theme of this first uh, cyber meetup uh, Google Hangout thing is going to be complex PTSD and covert narcissism. The email that I was going to read uh, was from a gentleman who was asking the question if I thought that complex PTSD could be developed uh, later than early childhood and that perhaps it wasn't always coming from the parent. He was asking me, does it always come from the parents? Because in my case, I don't think it does. Um, he said in his case, he felt that um, it was because he is gay and the trouble that he got growing up as a uh, as a, a young gay man in a, a heterosexual society um, was the thing that actually gave him the complex PTSD. And then he found himself involved in relationships with covert narcissists. So um, there's a lot of questions there, a lot of good ones, right? So uh, the first thing um, that I should say is complex PTSD is a new concept to me. Uh, I certainly can't pretend to be an expert in this. I'm very interested in it. Um, I think it's the answer that a lot of us have been looking for for a long time. I think it represents a, um, a revolutionary moment in, in uh, psychotherapy, the concept of, of, of complex PTSD. And it says a lot that many people don't know about it and that it's not officially recognized as yet. Um, if you haven't yet, you should get the book by Pete Walker, Complex PTSD from Surviving to Thriving. It's uh, a landmark, game-changing book. Um, for people who were raised in adverse uh, childhood environments and who suffer from people pleaser syndrome, codependency, <clears throat> that type of thing. If you want to understand why, you know, anything, any psychological problem you can think of is is uh, is dealt with in, uh, in in the model that Pete Walker presents of complex PTSD and the uh, four. F's for the trauma style responses. I won't get into that here. I want to talk today particularly about complex PTSD and covert narcissism. Um, so let's deal with uh, this gentleman who's asking me the question um, from the point of view of him. He is gay. Um, he wants to know if, you know, at age 10, 10, 11, 12, 13, when he started to realize, uh, find his own sexuality and notice that it was out of whack with what we're told is the uh, correct method because we are free because we are free you are free to do as we tell you um and if it's if if your sexuality is out of whack with what is considered to be the correct method also known as normal uh you know what what the consequences of that can be to you and whether that could cause complex ptsd so can a young adult develop complex ptsd absolutely um, it isn't always down to the parents. It isn't always down to the childhood environment. It often is. Um, you could even go so far as to say it usually is. If you look at the model of what complex PTSD represents, it's highly likely that you're talking about childhood abuse and uh, a relationship with, um, with parents or parental style authority figures who hold the most power in terms of patterning the unconscious of the child's mind um, at that moment. So um, absolutely, you can develop it in, you could develop it at any age. You know, uh, the example that is, that is often given in complex PTSD land, if you're interested in the research that goes on, is, is that of political prisoners. If you're put in an environment where you're infantilized, um, entrapped and cannot escape, and you're put back in a state of um, vulnerability and helplessness where you're dependent, you're forced to be a dependent, upon the uh, goodwill, kindness, or, or, or sort of care of others, like being a, a prisoner, um, then, then you can develop complex PTSD. There are certain things that are important to the development of complex PTSD. One of them is not that you must be a child. Um, the fact that you're a child is an incidental factor in creating complex PTSD. You must be a dependent, you must not be able to escape and you must feel or experience subjectively as though your very survival depends on the behavior, on the decisions of the person who is effectively looking after you. Or if you were trapped and shoved in a dungeon, at least the, the, the gatekeeper, the tower keeper, the guy who jangles the keys, uh, the, the lock the door. Um, 
his moods, her moods, you know, what, what she wants, what she desires will become a large focus of your life when your life is shrunk down to this environment, which can have a, um, frequently has a cult like quality to it. So there is a body of research out there um, done by um, a lot of it that I'm aware of uh, is, is American rather than European, as it happens, on complex PTSD as a result of being in cults. Um, cults do uh, cause a lot of complex PTSD because frequently one of the other elements that is required for complex PTSD to occur is that you have um, a place where you cannot escape, where your survival depends on the uh, sort of relationship with a authority figure um, and that the rules change and that there are conflicting rules that the, um, in, the injunctions in which you live under in that environment are not congruent. So you're forced into a game that you don't consent to, where you never really even have the rules explained to you. And even when you start to figure out what the rules of the game are, the fucking rules change on you. So this is why it's so stressful. Um, before I ever heard of complex PTSD or narcissistic abuse, I fell in love uh, with the concept of the catch-22, or as Gregory Bateson, the anthropologist, described it, the his double bind theory of schizophrenia. Um, you know, mental health practitioners on the Spartan Life Coach channel have pointed out to me it's actually not a great description of um, of schizophrenia, but it is a fantastic description of how to drive somebody crazy and how to break their self-image and cause lasting damage to who they are and how they operate in the world. Um, and it's the same thing, you know, it's the idea, the, the example I always uh, refer back to for the double bind theory um, that Gregory Bateson proposes is the 1984 torture scenario that takes place between the character Winston and the representative of, as Zizek would put it, the big other, how should I put it? Um, the, in the film, it was played by John Hurt, was the... Uh, was the victim Winston and Richard Burton had this fantastic terrifying performance as the stern uh, fatherly older brotherly paternal authority figure who didn't want to hurt Winston but he had to because it was his duty because Winston's mind had become corrupted with filthy dissident political ideas the double bind scene in particular, if you want to watch it, um, which you can, it's kind of triggering because it's pretty graphic, uh, would be triggering for some people, is when Winston is being tortured and uh, the character played by Richard Burton says, how many fingers am I holding up, Winston? And Winston says, I, three? No, Winston. And he tortures him. He, you know, either I think he racks him or he electrocutes him. Um, he says, how many fingers am I holding up now, Winston? He's three. No, Winston, it's not three. And they go through this whole dialogue, this whole uh, process in the book, 1984, of breaking down Winston's ego. And I don't mean ego in the, uh, in the normal um, way in which we describe it in modern Western parlance. I mean the, the Freudian concept of the ego, that which allows the vulnerable inner individual to deal with and cooperate with and negotiate with reality becomes broken because the rules of the game keep changing. And when you fuck up, you are beaten, tortured, starved, possibly executed. You know, there has to be this fear hanging over everything of some terrible, awful um, destruction. And George Orwell, which was so brilliant about the book, is the terrible, awful destruction wasn't more torture and it wasn't being executed. Being executed was almost a relief from the Ministry of Love, doublespeak. Okay, doublespeak and the Ministry of Love, which is actually the place, the dungeons where political prisoners are tortured. All of this is very important if you want to understand complex PTSD and covert narcissistic abuse. Uh, because the, the abuser, the torturer says, I am not torturing you because I hate you. I am re-educating you because I love you and the party loves you. And this is the ministry of love and your thoughts, comrade, must be corrected from their filthy Western decadent capitalist corruptions. Uh, so that's the environment that needs to take place. You need to be stuck and you need to have one injunction that 
um, goes against the other injunction. Uh, I think the third factor to create a true Batesonian, Batesonian um, the double bind is that you can never say that it doesn't make sense. Winston does in the book. He says, this doesn't make sense. And uh, the Richard Burton character says, yes, I know. It doesn't make sense. It's great. It doesn't make sense. And he says, well, what, what is, what is uh, four plus, I think he says, what is five plus three? You know, and your brain will give you an answer. The mathematical truth of the answer is eight, but I need you to see that five plus three is nine. And I don't want you to lie. It's so cruel, this book. It's such a cruel, cruel uh, description of, as a description of cruelty, it's, it's perfect. It's excellent. He says, Winston, I, I know you're an intelligent, rational man, and you want this pain to stop. You want the imprisonment to stop. And if I tell you that five plus three is nine, of course, you're an intelligent individual. You will forego your principles to stop the pain. And you will tell me that, yes, five plus three is nine, even though in your heart and in your soul, you know it is eight. But that's not good enough for the party. That's not good enough for me. I need you to say that five plus three is nine and believe it in your heart and in your soul. Um, recently, I released a video about brainwashing. If you go to the Wikipedia page, uh, for what it's worth, um, on brainwashing, there's a reference there that says that actually... The concept of brainwashing is a play on words from Chinese um, that originally meant heart washing, heart washing, which I think is 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 lovely. Um, the idea that your heart, your soul is dirty and needs to be cleaned. It sounds quite benign. You know, the idea that I'm going to clean your heart for you, I'm going to clean your soul for you because you have been corrupted by this mental software virus that would have caused you to speak out against the communist party or the capitalist party or whatever the fuck party it is it doesn't matter it's all about control it's all about controlling the individual and breaking them to the point where five plus three equals nine in the uh, story um winston goes into a state of uh, learned helplessness um he is broken down to this uh, he's totally infantilized to this state where he says well you tell me what it is you t how many fingers are you holding up? Whatever you say, whatever you tell me, that's what it is. And he's like, well, can you make this? Can you make three fingers be two? And he kind of squints and he goes, yes, it, it does look a little bit like two. And he tortures him again. He says, don't patronize me, Winston. Don't, don't fucking lie to me, kid. You know, it's really, it's next level gangsterism. It's, 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 it's horrendous. But as a description of how this process works, it's perfect. Um, so can complex PTSD be created in those kinds of environments? Yes. What about in an environment where your very primal basic desires, your sexual needs, um, as you're coming up into adolescence, your hormones are at full tilt, um, you, all that testosterone is flowing through you, and that you find that your needs and what you're thinking of go against what the party, what the big other, the big brother, the big other has told you they must be the correct method. What's the correct method? Well, the correct method is to be a good, clean uh, Christian boy and to find a good, clean Christian girl to settle down with and pay your taxes and buy a house and, you know, um, conform and be productive and give yourself, give your life to the big other, the big idea of what life is. People who fall outside of that, who go against uh, tribal doctrine, um, traditionally have been punished very harshly. Um, the worst uh, punishments will be laid to those who go against the uh, group doctrine and the, the needs of the tribe. Um, the worst tortures will be uh, inflicted upon those people. So to answer the question, could complex PTSD be developed in uh, adolescence? It could be developed at any point in your life uh, where you're trapped, where the two injunctions oppose each other and where you are punished really for a, a game that you don't fully understand. And even when you learn the rules, the rules change or you're just required to be pushed into a box that you simply don't fit into. Like if you are gay in an extremely uh, judgmental, uh, homophobic, um, rigidly sexualized society, because we are free. Because we are free, um, we have to conform. Um, I'm sorry, I got something stuck on my tongue. Um, uh, to you know what society tells us the correct method for um, sexuality must be. So can it be uh, developed at that stage? Yes, it can. Could the complex PTSD have been caused by being um, raised by perfectly decent parents, but just by being 
um, uh, gay in a in a straight society that will not tolerate um, homosexuality or or indeed any deviation from a previously described norm. Um, I did an interview recently with somebody who wanted me to talk about uh, mental illness and what my perception about mental illness was, and I answered that all the mental illness descriptions that we can find are a model of reality. They're social constructs. They're not real. Um, in some places in the world, they're voted for. They're not blood tested. They don't draw, you know, spinal fluid or cranial fluid and go, aha, I see we have clear markets here for schizophrenia and borderline personality disorder. You can't do that. It's a social construct. It's an idea. And what is implicit in this um, sort of ideology is the implicit doctrine is there is normal and your psychiatrist is normal. Your psychotherapist, your coach is sane and normal and they are following the correct method. And it is you that has deviated, um, which is a myth. It's a convenient tribal myth. It's a societal um, sort of injunction that you don't have to submit to. You don't have to consent to it, non-servium. So to finish this question, the gentleman who messaged me what he said is that he found himself in relationships with um, men who were abusive um, in a covertly narcissistic way. Well, uh, how does that relate to the complex PTSD that, that, that sort of um, the way in which he developed complex PTSD growing up? Well, the, the narcissistic abuse in that environment where a person's... Um, Sexuality is denied, shamed, ridiculed, humiliated, that, that they are meant to experience massive guilt for, that is covert narcissistic abuse. But it's not come from a person, it's come from a group, it's come from a society, it's come from social norms. Um, you know, every time you, every single, as a, as a 12, 13, 14, 15 year old growing up, every single piece of media, or instruction or conversation that said being gay means you are weak, ineffective, silly. Every time you see a gay man um, behaving in a, a stereotypically gay way that you're then, that's the new. It's not like gay culture is all free and happy and joyous. There's rigidity within, there's gay cultural norms as well. And there's not to say that gay society won't enforce its, its cultural norms. It will. Um, I know this. Uh, I, I myself happen to be heterosexual at this point in my experience as a human being. But I have had over the years uh, a lot of gay friends. And I've seen that. I've seen that rigidity. I've seen that self-disciplining within the gay community. And I see uh, negative uh, stereotypes enforced not just by heterosexuals on, on gay people, but by gays on other, on other gays. It manifests differently amongst men and differently amongst women, yet there it is. Um, so every time you experience that as a, as a the, the, implicit, the implicit covert messages, because you want what you want, you are weak, uh, silly, ineffective, you can't be manly, like you can't be decisive, you can't be assertive, you can't be a hero, you can't be. Uh, well, think of the films. You can't be Rambo. You can't. Like it's 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 outside of the cultural norms. That's what you're being told. Of course you can. Of course you can do that. You could do anything that anybody else can do. But we never see that. We're never shown that. We're never told that story. Uh, I can't remember whether the last time I saw a, a Hollywood blockbuster where the lead was gay. You know. Um, I'm not even going to go there into the implicit racism and sexism that is still absolutely rampant in 2015 Hollywood. Uh, go and watch. I watched Jurassic World uh, the other night. I think I walked out with a sore forehead from rolling my eyes so hard. The most cliched hack, dreadfully written, appallingly, deve oh, appallingly developed. I'm sorry, they weren't developed. <laughs> characters and lines and 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 just drivel it's just absolute fucking shocking drivel um that is just I, I don't even know why they're doing it i don't know why it's like they're deliberately farting in people's faces it was i i was watching the film and all i could think about was the human centipede 
which I've never seen, but I understand what the concept of the film is. It's being, it's about people being force fed other human beings poop. And I'm just thinking, was the human centipede just a big inside joke in Hollywood for, as a metaphor for what's actually happening there where people are just being fed other people's poop and every film, every story is just a bad photocopy of a bad photocopy of a bad photocopy, you know, running on into eternity. Anyway, what the hell am I talking about? I said, I wouldn't talk about films. Don't get me on films. I'll drivel on. So, um, why would this gentleman end up with a covert narcissist? Because the abuse that he experienced that created the complex PTSD in society and culture was largely covert. Yes, there are people around who say, you know, you fucking faggot, queer, puff, blah, 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 blah. You know, I, I myself had my life changed when I was assaulted when I was uh, 21. I was uh, going to join the army as an officer. And on the day before my final test, um, to, to, that would have got me into Sandhurst, uh, I went out with some friends, a mixed group of girls and boys, and we went out in Chester. And Chester can be rough. Everybody thinks Chester is a lovely historic town, but we'd been in loads of fights there. I had my eardrum burst in a fight there like two months before. And we said, well, where are we going to go? Well, we'll go to uh, a place. I don't know if it still exists. It's on Love Street in Chester, and it's called Love Street. And it's a gay bar that was open on a late on a Sunday night. Played great music, had cheap drinks. People went in there and danced, and that's what we were up for. So we, and it was a mixed group, so we went into the gay bar. And a guy singled me out, um, who I'm sure is straight and not a repressed homosexual who's angry with other gays at all. And he uh, glassed me. He hit me with a, a half a pint glass. He didn't break it and then shove it in my face, thankfully. He just took it and smashed it into the side of, of my eye. Um, oh, he headbutted me first and then smashed it into the side of my eye um, for being gay. And when the police came to arrest him, he even shouted, he's a fucking faggot. I'm glad I did it. I do it again. Um, and then he went to jail uh, eventually. Uh, you know, so I am aware that this happens. I, I've seen it uh, more than once with my own eyes. Um, so, but it's not always like that's overt abuse and often what happens is the, the the thick end of the wedge if you're gay raised in this society will be covert abuse it's all the little niggles and digs and the representation of how gay is supposed to act in the media is not I, I would personally find it a bit annoying and i would probably want to fight against that in the same way i find it annoying when i see depictions of a white heterosexual 30 something man and I'd look at that and I think, fuck you, that's not me. How dare you like push me into that uh, um, cultural stereotype? I'm not like that. Don't show every fucking white guy who's 35 to 38 years old. You know, it, it's, it's frustrating to be told, this is who you are, little consumer. This is what you wish to consume and buy now. It's in the advertising. It's in... You know, it's in the ideology, as Zizek would say. It's, it's you know, you, do, you walk in Starbucks and you literally buy uh, not just a coffee, but a cup of ideology. And we are the goldfish swimming in this in this sea of, uh, in this water. Not even a sea. We don't have the freedom of the sea. We're in the goldfish bowl of ideology, but you don't see it. You're not aware of it. You just swim in it. It's, it was there long before you were born. It's implicit in our language. It's implicit in in everything we do. It's, you know... Anyway, I'd, I was about to go back into films, pull myself back. So if the abuse you experienced was covert, created the complex PTSD that caused those invisible wounds, you're going to seek an abuser later in life to sexually attach to who reflects those invisible wounds that you experienced in childhood. So uh, my friend, uh, the reason why your last two boyfriends fit the, like he watched my video on 20 signs of covert narcissism and he was like, dude, it's like this guy hit 18 out of 20. Of, of the things he was exactly that um and it's like you knew him well the reason why that this guy fit the the mold for covert narcissism is that i believe is because you were abused by a covert narcissist but it wasn't an individual it was a collective it was a group it was a it was a society it was a cultural norm that that uh, abused you that denied you the freedom to be you oh waffling a little bit there bringing it back okay so somebody wants me to talk about uh, the Rachel Dollars Dollarzal thing, um, I, like talking about swimming in a water of ideology, and you know 
so much that is important, so much that is important that informs what we do and how we think is not seen. Uh, those of you who followed me from the beginning will know that I'm a big fan of uh, Patrice O'Neill. He actually had a stand-up comedy show that was called The Elephant in the Room. But Patrice O'Neill's policy, his comedy, was to call out the elephants in the room all the time. The elephant in the room with this whole Rachel Dolezal situation is not about one silly woman uh, who, yes, is probably personality disorder. And people have said, you know, analyze that. So what is it? It's borderline? Is it, you know, yes, she has a wafty sense of self. Yes, she will lie to get what she wants. Yes, she will jump on the bandwagon of other people's problems and other people's pain and other people's suffering to make it her suffering, which kind of would indicate COVID. But and who cares, man? That's not the big issue. The big issue right now, um, especially in America, a lot of people think I'm an American basher. I'm not. Uh, you don't. You guys don't realize a lot of Brits are very pro the American ideal and what America was supposed to be. You know, not all of us. It's ultra submissive to like the idea of royalty and feudalism, especially in the North. You all watch Game of Thrones, but you don't realize that the American gentleman who wrote Game of Thrones understands uh, English culture, British culture very well. You know, the Northerners have always been rebellious against the South. The kings always lived in London. So I'm from Liverpool. I'm from the North. That accent that you hear in Game of Thrones, the men of the night's watch, the men of the wall, winter is coming, you know, nothing Jon Snow. That's that's my area. That's Lancashire. That's Yorkshire. That's up the road from us. And if you look in English history, they literally uh, at, at, at one time came up and slaughtered. There was a, there was a genocide of the North um, for rebellion against the king in the South. Um, so we're not all against America. I'm driveling on now. It's a fucking history lesson. Okay, so um, the the uh, I'm not an American basher. I really am not. But y'all have hysteria when it comes to race. I went to America once when I was 21, and I flew in. And before I was allowed off the plane, I was handed a form on which I had to state what my race was. So I'm 21 years old. I just did a psychology degree. My dissertation was about the social constructs and race um, and the fact that race is a completely fallacious notion. Race as a scientific term is gibberish. It's meaningless unless you're talking about plants. Sorry, guys. You know, like it, it doesn't mean anything. The uh, uh, It's actually a... Um, it has scientific validity when we are talking about plants, not humans. Why? Because there isn't enough difference between humans to say this one is different to this one significantly enough to say there's another race. If you don't believe me, Google how many races are there scientifically, and you won't get an answer because there isn't one. So I was appalled. I was told that I would not be let in by whatever you have in America, Homeland Security or whatever, if I would not state my race and i thought that was the most disgusting weird bizarre neurotic hysterical thing to do who the fuck cares why didn't they just hand me a color chart and go can you tell me how pinkish yellow you are on this fucking color chart you know I, I, that's it's it was ridiculous but that happened there's a hysteria to race in america and it's being deliberately turned up you know, the slow boiled frogs analogy. Well, that particular stove is being turned up right now. Um, I'm not going to let this devolve into a discussion of conspiracy theory. This isn't the time or the place, but that is happening. And I, I predicted that happening uh, three years ago. Others predicted it happening three years ago. You, you, were, so you are being set up for a race war. And you're, the, the start of this, the preparations for this started a long time ago. A long, long time ago. They know they just have to push certain buttons to divide and conquer. And that's what's happening in America right now. This woman, she's just another patsy. She's just another fucking shell uh, to keep you looking at the shell game, uh, which is, you know, race war. It's gibberish. Don't give it emotion. Don't give it um, excessive attention. It's a, it's a shadow play. It's cl very clever puppetry. Puppetry that's going on it's puppetry she's a puppet as far as i'm concerned she's just another meat puppet she's there to uh, irritate and provoke uh, 
and to keep the question of race about black versus white to polarize black and white. Nobody's talking about uh, uh, when, when this kind of thing comes up, it's like Asian people, Southeast Asian, all, you know, all the people of Asia, all, you know, it's, it, all of them just disappear. So that like vast majority of the globe, you know, they, they don't count because it's black versus white. That's what they want. They've got this white girl who had the temerity to lie her way into a position of status and privilege, um, pretending that she was black. And, and beyond that, you know, yeah, I could give you various opinions about this and that. But that's the real issue for me is that race war is being provoked in America. And I'm not I don't want to feed into the the um, this mind control game that's going on right now by saying, well, I think it's disgusting or I think it's OK if she wants to be transracial. She identifies as black dudes and dudettes. It's it's not OK to lie. It's not okay to exploit. It's not okay to jump on somebody else's bandwagon. And it, even if, if you're black and you jump on the, blandwag, the bandwagon of slavery, but your ancestors were not slaves, like your family's only been in America for 10 years, that's also not okay, you know, to me, in my opinion. Uh, truth, objective truth, either matters or it doesn't. And I'm in the camp of saying it really matters. And it's kind of, it's hard enough to hold on to it as it is, even if you care about it. But when we start throwing objective truth out the window and just holding on to subjective opinion and knee-jerk reactions and, and the mental masturbation, the ego masturbation of emotion and subjectivity, well, I think she should be allowed to do it. Well, I think it's disgraceful. Well, it actually doesn't really matter doesn't matter that's not what's important what's important is the bigger game that's being played here obama is leaving soon okay he's leaving soon um and there are things that are in place there are little cogs that are turning right now that have a purpose um, that might be there to keep your minds off other things that are there to distract you from the real issues that are going on good question um i hope i've answered it in a way that maybe it's a bit fresh Maybe it has a different perspective and, and that, that helps a little bit. I'm just going to find another couple of questions and then I should probably wrap this up. Can you discuss how to cut off contact with covert narcissists, particularly with the family? I'm emotionally dumb, but my mother will put up a fight which prevents me from pulling the plug. There was another email that I got earlier that was saying, you know, do I, should I stick in my relationship with a covert narcissist and figure this out so that it never happens to me again or should I leave? Uh, I, I can't, you know, I used to teach um, self-protection in terms of martial arts, and uh, I spent on and off uh, 10 years working nightclub security uh, in Liverpool, uh, Tenerife, London, uh, I even did a, a nine-month stint in New Zealand. Um, and it's very easy to get drawn into like specific scenarios, but I can't really tell you from the outside how to handle the specific scenario you're in or the particular fight you're going to be in until that happens. What informs your decisions of how to deal with that fight should be the moment to moment changing terrain that you see before you. And you should just try and work from certain key principles, which I'll give you in a second and do something that is sensible. Do something that makes you safe. So if I say to you, hey, every time you get into a fight, you have to always use your right hand to punch the person in the jaw, and then you find yourself being attacked while you're on the top deck of a moving double-decker bus as it's going around a corner, all of a sudden by three people, and it's the middle of winter in London, and you've all got thick jackets on, all of a sudden that advice kind of starts to suck, doesn't it? So if I say to you, always go no contact, even when it's in the family, and I create like an absolute rule, that's going to suck because there are certain situations where that won't work. If I say always work within the family and cooperate with the person you're, you're in a relationship with, that's going to suck too because, um, you know, the, the damage that can be done by contact with a narcissist is terrible. If you're stuck with a narcissist, if you have shared custody with a narcissist, if you're financially, you're just stuck in a house, for whatever reason, with people who have narcissistic personality disorder, um, you're in for a rough ride. That's the truth. And you need to be very tough. And you need to be very uh, tough and boundaried mentally. And the first person you need to be tough and boundaried with mentally is yourself. 
Um, it's very important that you maintain a clear perception of the reality that's playing out. Now, I've just said to you, okay, troops, okay, martial arts student, you're about to get in a fight, you're about to go to war, keep a clear idea of what's going on. And as soon as you make contact with the enemy, their first attack is upon your ability to keep a clear perspective of what is going on. So I want to be like, you know, if I throw you into a game of rugby and I say, hold the ball, don't let anybody take the ball. And then all of a sudden 15 men are running at you, big burly men to take that ball off. You'd be like, geez, dude, that wasn't very good advice. That's what it's like. That's what it's like. Your The attack is on nothing less than your personal sovereignty and your sanity at any given moment. Um, any, I will say this as well as a principle, any and all uh, uh, contact with a narcissist, whether they're covert or overt, indeed any cluster B, is an opportunity for exploitation that they will not waste because they cannot, because they're machines of exploitation. They can't resist an opportunity to hurt you, to exploit you, to use you. You can't do it. Um, I was re recently in, a, in an interaction with somebody and uh, in, through trying to help her, she became immediately abusive very quickly, even as my hand was still reaching out for the free gift that I was giving her in response to what she asked me for. She was like, please, can you do this for me? I was like, not only will I do that for you, I should do this as well. Take two of them. And before she'd even taken them from me, she was abusing me for it. And I was hurt. Spartan Life Coach was hurt. Uh, and afterwards, I was, I was thinking about it and I was talking about it. And I was like, you know, I really intuitively feel that this person has so little power in her life that any opportunity to be powerful in her twisted map of reality, to bully another, to um, demand something of another, to tell someone off, to you know, castigate them, to, to scold them, if she gets even just a three-second opportunity to do it, she has to do it. Now, that doesn't mean I have sympathy for her. It doesn't mean she's acted like any less of a dickhead that was wrong. What she did was absolutely fucking wrong. And she's a dickhead for doing that. But I also have to say there's something a little bit sad about somebody who is condemned to follow a negative impulse. Um, and that's just how they are, boys and girls. You know, this is the essence of what we're talking about. The complex PTSD you experienced in childhood are the result of narcissistic parents um, will manifest later in life when you attract more people just like them into your life and you feel comfortable interacting with them. And your unconscious mind is going, oh, maybe I couldn't fix mummy and daddy. Maybe I can fix these. Or it might not have been your mum and dad. It might have been in the case of the gentleman we were talking about earlier. You know, I couldn't make my peer group love me um, or respect me because uh, I was gay. Maybe I can make this person love and respect me. Maybe I can bring out their covert narcissism and, and, and the covert abuse and, and, you know, turn it into something else. I mentioned Patrice O'Neill before. Um, he's very sadly missed. I'd love to hear what his take is on the situations like this Rachel Dolezal thing that's going on uh, in America and all the other uh, racially charged things that are going on. But he was very keen. He didn't use these words because he didn't. Un he wasn't trained in psychology. But he was very keen on unearthing and uncovering uh, uh, sneak uh, abuse, sneaky abuse, covert abuse, covert racism. And he would always say, I don't mind like as much an over obnoxious in your face racist. So I don't care about that guy. I don't care about that girl. That's fine. He says, what I care about is where I can't put my finger on it. I know there's something up. I know you're being something, but I can't put my finger on it and I can't call you out for it. That's what pisses me off. It's exactly the same with covert narcissistic abuse. So if you're in contact, what's my recommendation? My recommendation is that you understand the danger you're in um, as, as regards your sanity. I somehow ended up on a page of Amazon books before. Uh, one of them was about dealing with a narcissist and it had great reviews. And uh, just to be perverse and you know contradictory, I wanted to see what the worst reviews were. I was like, well, tell me what's su Everybody's saying what's great. Let's hear what sucks about this book. And one of the one-star reviews was saying, you know, you advised people how to stay in contact with a narcissist. How dare you? 
you know, and the, the metaphor that this person gave that she gave, I thought was fantastic was if you were advising people to stay in contact with a physically abusive person, would you recommend that they keep plasters around the house and little bags of ice around the house when that piece of shit punches you? So then why? Obviously, nobody would. So then why would you do that for when people are assaulting you mentally and emotionally? Why would you advise them to keep little, you know, it was something incredibly perverted, uh, sorry, not perverted in the sexual sense, but in the Freudian, uh, in the old psychoanalytic sense, when you have a drive and it gets turned back on itself, that's a perversion. There is something perverse and deeply sick about saying to somebody, hey, I'm going to teach you how to stroke your narcissist's ego and keep them from attacking you and keep them from beating the shit out of you. That's disgusting. That's like, isn't that like helping somebody, you know, I accept that you're going to torture me. So here's, you know, some pliers. I, you have dirty pliers. I have bought some new ones. There's, just go in the garage. You can use them. Are you going to rape me? Well, if you're going to rape me, you know, that, what you're going to tie me up? That's not going to hold me. I'm quite strong, but I have this tape. Of it. It's perverse. It's disgusting. The idea that I'm not going to sit here and help people to remain in, in contact with a narcissist. I can't do it. It's it's sick. Um, what I can do is is help. I'm not going to help people to stay in contact with a narcissist. I ain't going to teach you any techniques for moderating the narcissist behavior or anything like that. I can teach you and help you in being the effects of being with a narcissist and to mediate them, to tone them down. Uh, there's a gentleman on YouTube, on YouTube uh, whose channel I recommend. He talks about covert narcissism as well, which is quite a specialized topic within this topic, Ross Rosenberg. And he gives the advice of observe, don't absorb. I, it's great advice, but just like the advice I gave you before, the first thing they're going to try and do is cause you to absorb the strikes. They want you to experience pain. Richie's coming at you with another film reference in three, two, one. Actually, it's from a really good book. Um, Frank Herbert's Dune. People, uh, there was a whole like school, a whole little, it's, it's, he, the, the, the dude lived in Malaysia and uh, he must have studied some silat because there's quite a lot of martial arts and martial arts theory in the book Dune. I really recommend it. It's a, like, if you like sci-fi, it's one of the best. Um, and there's schools, like these noble houses, much like you have in Game of Thrones, like House of Trades and House whatever. I can't remember the, the, the bad guy's house. It's very similar to what you see in Game of Thrones between the Starks and the Lannisters. One's like this stern, northern, uh, you know, much more strict, uh, much more sort of, um, I, uh, my words are leaving me now, uh, not so decadent, whatever the, the adjective is, the opposite of decadent and self-indulgent is. And the other one's this rich sort of Lannister style house. They're all a bit perverse. They're into incest and torture and blah, you know, they're, they're, they're sick drugs, the whole thing. And when they fight in this land, in this world, they don't fight with rapiers. They fight with knives. They consider that to be the most um, honorable way to fight. And they are allowed to fight at times with uh, shields uh, on that are electrical fields called the Holzman. I think they're called, it's been a long time, so I think it's called the Holzman field. And in order to get through this field, if you hit it hard, it rejects the strike, pushes it back. But if you hit it slowly, the Holzman field isn't set up for that. So it's, it's for rejecting uh, bullets, uh, projectiles, uh, fragments of explosions and rapid attacks that go in. It immediately rejects them, but it is completely useless against the slow attack. So you have this, uh, this, this cool scenario where you have these knife fighting martial arts schools but they actually learn to fight against Holzman shields that they get their opportunity, come inside and then force themselves to slow so they can drive the poison blade in even deeper. You know, isn't it? that's a cool idea, isn't it? That's, that's how it works. The poison blade that goes in slow, that goes in underneath the Holzman field, because if it comes in too hard and too fast and too direct, it bounces off. The most perfect form of abuse, if you want to abuse people, of course, is not overt. Like I get the example I gave of the two gulags. Well, in one gulag, I torch you and I tell you I hate you, you filthy capitalist dog or you filthy communist dog or whatever the wrong, the incorrect method is in that particular time and place. I torture you for it. And I say, I hate you. I hate you because you're a capitalist. I hate you because you're English. I hate you because you're blah, blah, blah. You have a blue t-shirt on. 
and now I'm going to punish you, you fuck. Take this, and I'm going to beat you with a rubber hose. In the other gulag, they're not going to tell you they hate you. They're going to beat you with the same rubber hose at the same time every day, but they'll say, this is for your own good, comrade. This is so that you can learn the joys of capitalism. This is so that you can learn the joys of communism or whatever it happens to be. But it's reframed. It's the reframing of the abuse that causes the real damage, that causes the real pain, and that allows the poison blade to slide slowly through the Holzman field into your flesh. Um, once that poison is in you, you know, you're in trouble. You're in a lot of trouble. So you will find this if you're in contact with the narcissist, be they over or covert, you know, and everybody, um, as far as I, as I understand it at this point, there isn't everybody's on a spectrum of overt to covert and tactics. A person could be a covert narcissist, but use overt tactics at times or a overt narcissist, but use covert tactics at times, or they might, you know, they might swing in between. It's not as black and white as we would wish it to be. Our brains crave simplicity and there is no simplicity here. There's just subtlety, complexity. Um, and that covert abuse in order to be effective will not appear as abuse. It will appear as, uh, as, as something else. It will be reframed as being something else. And that's what makes it really, really dangerous. So your experience of being with a narcissist is going to be up and down in order to emotionally dysregulate you effectively so that you go into submission, so that your brain gets traumatized and switches off. Shell shock. Uh, once they've shocked you and they've got you uh, in this um, shocked, glazed over state, that's when all the hypnosis goes in. That's when they tell you all the things that they want you to believe when you're shocked. It's, I, it's like they have a manual because they all do it the same way, but they've all just figured it out from scratch. It's really weird. Um, they've all been beamed down from planet narco, I'm sure. Um, so your experience of being with a narcissist will be up and down. They will be cruel and then they will be kind which is the best way to torture someone, isn't it? I will come and I will say, comrade, sit with me. We don't want to do this to you. Please, you look terrible. Have some food. I've brought you cigarettes, da, da, da. Uh, good cop, bad cop, and then turn on you and start torturing you again. You will go into an infantilized state like that, praying and begging and hoping for the nice face, not the dark face, because there are two faces there, the abusive one and the nice one. That's what's going to drive you crazy. If I'm consistently a dick all the time and I hit you and I like, I don't know, drink and I shout and I swear, at least your um, neurology can uh, acclimatize to that awful overt level of abuse. It doesn't make it right. It doesn't make it less awful or less traumatizing, but at least you can acclimatize to that and then leave. I, I did a video years ago, like back in the Spartan Life Coach old days, if you go into the vault, if you go back and look at me in 2011, I think it is, or 12, uh, I did a video on, um, on why do women get back with abusive men. That was originally from my self-defense YouTube channel, some of you all don't even know about, which I ran for like seven years and then got shut down um, thanks to a certain fat conspiracy theorist on YouTube. Um, and that it started out as why do women get back with abusive men? And there wasn't any good information out there that I could find, but there was something called trauma bonding that I got from understanding cults. At that time, I didn't know about narcissistic abuse and I didn't know about covert narcissism. So I called it trauma bonding. And the trauma bonding way was to be nice, then to be evil, to be both the rescuer and the torturer. So in this children's myth, um, you, you are the wicked witch who captures children and shoves them in an oven and you're the brave woodsman who saves those children in one. How can it be? Then the mind is forced into a state where it needs to split and it creates a split reality. They can't be evil and good, can they? I want to believe I'm invested in them being good, but I see them being evil. Let's not look at them being evil. Let's look at them being good. And, and slowly, your, your, your whole sense of self and your whole grasp on reality starts to fragment and break, uh, which is why I created the um, Covert Narcissism Unmasked course, um, was to help people deal with that, that, that split. It drives a wedge and splits, you, splits your brain, splits your mind um, into your reality and your sense of what is, is, is up and down. Um, and, and that course was designed to help you sort of deal with that and recover from that. But I'm not going to teach techniques for being in contact with narcissists that ever suggest 
that you should be trying to mediate their moods or placate them. And there are courses out there like that. It disgusts me. Um, one of these ebooks that somebody sent me said, oh, treat your narcissistic spouse, your narcissistic partner like a child and indulge them in their grandiose fantasies and their exploitative patterns. No, 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 no. This is not the correct method. Um, that's, that's really sick. I would never recommend anybody do that, and I'd never jump on board with um, anyone who was who, who thought that, that was a good place to come from. Um, oh, okay. Final question. Uh, hello, my narcissist started ignoring our four-year-old daughter, kind of giving her the silent treatment as well. We are currently separating. What motivates such behaviour? Um, yeah, what motivates such behaviour? It, it really, I joke about it, but it actually helps if you can see these people as being from another planet, you know, like reptilians from the planet Draco. And I jokingly call it planet Narco. The biggest mistake you can make is to try and superimpose what you would do, what you would feel, your moral landscape. You know, you might not be a particularly morally upright person per se, but if you have any morality whatsoever and you try and superimpose your morality onto someone from planet narco it ain't going to work like the reason why he the reasons why he will be ignoring you and ignoring her you know you maybe should do some more research particularly into the uh, concept uh, that is called the lack of empathy there isn't normal human feeling there there isn't normal attachment there a father is supposed to biologically feel an attachment towards a child. But people who are suffering from this particular mental illness, this, this personality disorder, they don't feel that way. They don't have those emotions. They don't have those normal attachments. Um, and I guess, you know, you maybe need, it's not a nice thing to hear, but it, you do need to hear it. Um, this individual, if he truly is NPD, will see uh, you and even his own daughter as pawns in a longer game to be used or not used. If he is totally ignoring you, it could be that at this moment in time, he doesn't have a use for you, but he may do in the future. And that use may be anything. I mean, use our, our imaginations. I'm, I don't know enough about the situation to say. Um, or he may be punishing you, and he may know that is distressing for you when he doesn't talk to his daughter, that it upsets you and tortures you. And that's why he's doing it. Did you tell him that you don't like it when he doesn't talk to his daughter? If you did, you handed him an instrument of torture and now he's using it. Uh, the, in the world of planet narco, any and all information that you give to the narcissist can and will be used as ammunition against you at a later date. It's, sick it's unpleasant um i'm truly sorry that you're experiencing that um get as much support as you can um through this period and uh, try and acclimatize to the idea that he is not a normal human being he doesn't feel and think the way you do even though he knows how to pretend to that's a rather dour note to finish on sorry about that folks i hope that that was useful um and i hope that in in future Google Hangout thingies. Um, we can actually get some people on and, and talk to them. Once I've figured out how to do that, then we shall do it. Okay, uh, thanks very much for your time and your attention, and I look forward to speaking to you all again soon. Cheers.